Chapter 8, Rest in Peace. Ending the last chapter was the mention of the most hated and despised word that is commandment the Creator gave. Most have no problem with the last six words or commandments, and even with the first three, although they have no real idea what they entail, but that fourth is met with venomous resistance, and with good reason. The fourth word in Exodus 28 is, Remember to keep the Sabbath day, that is the seventh day, holy or set apart. Verse 9 goes on to define what Sabbath means. Six days shall you labor and do your work. I emphasize your. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh, your God. Rest means from our normal routine, not all work as we will see. Unfortunately, what virtually everyone believes about this Sabbath, seventh or Sabbath day, is pure nonsense due to what the Pharisees, who are called the sons of the devil, reduced it to. The Christians went a step further and decided the day of the sun, that is Sunday, was the correct day of worship, though it is obviously not the seventh day. We also have the same problem with Islam. Muhammad declared Friday, or Freya's day, to be the correct day of worship, which he supposedly chose to stand out from the Jews and Christians. Regardless, the day of Freya, who is a Norse goddess, is certainly not the seventh day either. That brings us up to the modern Jewish Sabbath, Saturday. Do they have it right? Well, Saturday means the day of Saturn, or Kronos. Remember, Kronos was the chief god of the Greek Titans, the father of Zeus, which prompts the obvious question. Did the Creator really command His people to share His day of worship with the honoring of the father god of the Romans, that is, Saturn or Kronos? All I can say is there's something very wrong with that picture. One of the greatest excuses, and valid ones at that, the Christian used to reject the Saturday Sabbath is the myriads of don'ts the Orthodox Jews have burdened that day with. Unfortunately, the Christian arguments in that regard have great merit and validity. After all, the Creator instructed His people to delight in His Sabbaths and feasts. That's Isaiah 58.13. Unfortunately, the Orthodox Jews made His Sabbaths just the opposite with all their obscene rules. After all, what kind of delightful feast does not allow the joy of eating hot and or fresh food? Those Jews believe the Torah strictly forbids lighting a fire, but again, nothing can be further from the truth. The fires forbidden in Deuteronomy 16 were the work or the business fires, to cease from their normal business activity. Remember, the fourth word or commandment told them they had six days to do their work thing, but the seventh was a feast to Yahweh. But how did the Creator expect His feasts or Sabbaths to be joyous if celebrated in the cold and or heat with only cold and leftover food? Unfortunately, the Orthodox Jews have reduced the Creator to a dictator with all their absurd Sabbath rules. Sadly, the Jews, that is the Orthodox Jews, drastically misunderstand the command to do no work. You see, celebrating and feasting are commanded, which involve preparation, and serving, i.e. work. What an oxymoron the Jewish Sabbath has become, where even turning on a light or riding in an elevator constitutes lighting that forbidden fire. Adding to them even more silliness, only so many steps could be taken on the Sabbath before it also constitutes that forbidden work. Bottom line, the Jewish Sabbath doesn't even come close to the joyous celebrations Yahweh instructed His people, including us, to delight in. Again, how is this command to let your feasts be a delight possible if they were not allowed to cook food, to have heat, or to walk more than a short distance? 
Those rabbinical rules reduce Yahweh's people to nothing more than circus animals jumping through all kinds of silly hoops. Again, if we cut out all the human and religious tradition, Yahweh's feasts are wonderful celebrations and occasions. We'll examine those scriptures shortly, but first, let's look at the real reasons his feasts, i.e. Sabbaths, have been so corrupted and despised. As usual, the real reason goes right back to the evil watchers, or angels, that so despised Yahweh, they stole from humanity one of the greatest gifts Yahweh ever offered his people, his Sabbath feasts. But it's so much more, considering at least two scriptures, that's Exodus 31 and Ezekiel 20, tell us the sign between Yahweh and his people would be his Sabbaths. That's the real reason his people and all of humanity hate and despise his Sabbaths so much. The devil does not want us to be his people. How ironic to understand Yahweh's Sabbath feasts make all the human tradition traditional pagan feasts and holy days look pathetic and silly. After all, Yahweh's feasts all come with his special personal blessing and gifts. Plus, those feasts, that is beside the weekly ones, are to be celebrated four times a year, two of which span an entire week. And making his feasts even more joyous is the elimination of the -the after-the-fact bills as with the pagan feasts like Christmas. He instructs his people to save a tenth of their income so they are all paid for in advance. Again, these feasts also include gift-giving, which with the greatest gifts, the one the Creator gives those who attend his feasts with him. To bring his feast into a more understandable light, Yahweh is like the most wealthy man on the planet who has special feasts to honor his accomplishment and future plans for his children and humanity. To celebrate his special days, each having deep meaning for him and us, he invites his friends and family to feast with him. Of course, one would never dream of being invited by a king or head of state and then have the gall to just ignore such an important invitation. In fact, in ancient times, such disrespect most likely meant losing your head. Why would there be any difference with the creator of the universe? Would we really so be so disrespectful as to thumb our noses as his personal invitations? Yet that's exactly what the Israelites, especially modern Israel, have done. Plus, upon accepting the invitation, a person would never dream of attending without bringing a gift. An important point, as we'll see. Consequently, they were no longer invited and descended into total pagan practices and feasts. After Yahweh's people, for the most part, rejected Yahweh's firstborn son in the first century, his people were stripped of all knowledge of Yahweh's feasts and what they mean, which is where we are still today. But that's about to change and is changing. We will get into those annual feasts, but first, let's back, get back to the weekly Sabbath, what it is, and how it was taken taken from us. Ironically, it's the first and most important of Yahweh's feasts, considering it is the sign between him and his people. Yahweh's resting from his creating work on the seventh day is the celebration of the completion of his eternal family. That said, it's only natural to celebrate the accomplishment of any great work, which is exactly what the seventh-day Sabbath is. The seventh-day Sabbath is not just resting or doing no work, as is taught. To establish and prove this point, we need only investigate the duties of the priests priests on the Sabbath. In Leviticus, we find them literally having to double the number of animal sacrifices as during the week. So did the Creator really instruct His people to not so much as lift a finger on the Sabbath while doubling the workload for His priests? 
What kind of a hypocrite would that make him? <clears throat> no, Yahweh's not a hypocrite. Even though the duties of the priests on Yahweh's Sabbath were doubled, they were still very different from their normal weekly duties. After all, his Sabbaths were to be Kodesh, which means to be set apart, or exclusive, or different, which was badly translated holy. The English word holy, unfortunately, loses the depth of meaning the Hebrew conveys. Actually, during the week, the sacrifices were not only spiritual in nature, but food for the priests. They ate the sacrifices except for the burnt ones. But the Sabbath feast was for both the priests and the people, which is why the Sabbath sacrifices were doubled. Again, one of the primary reasons besides spiritual for the sacrifices was a practical one, a feast for everyone coming to celebrate the Sabbath. Many, if not most people, could afford good meat in their regular diet, if any. And considering the sacrificial animals were to be yearlings, and only the best at that, celebrating the Sabbath at the temple or the tabernacle was like attending a king's ball where only the best was served. Slaughtering and roasting, also boiling all those animals, was a labor of joy that involved a supreme amount of work. Again, the work the Israelites were forbidden to do was their occupational work, i.e. their weekly jobs making money, which again is what the forbidding of lighting a fire was all about. Most occupations from metalwork to baking involved fire, at least in ancient times. As usual, people, that is the religious leaders, lost the big picture with their preoccupation with little mostly irrelevant details. Again, Yahweh is not a dictator or a tyrant. He is actually and according to historical scriptures, quite flexible. And, as pointed out before, the weekly Sabbath is a celebration of the completed plan for Yahweh's people, with the annual feasts being the breakdown of that plan. How interesting, though, how the completed plan is celebrated before the individual parts of that plan. But then that's what Isaiah 46.10 tells us. He declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done. It's just more proof he does not deviate from his plans. Revelation 9 tells us the sacrifice of his son was established from the foundation of the world and was not plan B. We're told in Malachi 3.6, Yahweh does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not make a mistake and have to implement a secondary plan, that is, a new covenant as Christianity teaches. Before moving on to the details of that plan outlined in his annual feast, the actual meaning of seventh day needs to be addressed. The modern calendar with the named months and days was a calendar ordered created by Julius Caesar around 50 BCE. His calendar, which included mostly pagan names of months and weekdays, was later adopted by Pope Gregory, which is why it is now called the Gregorian calendar. But, that's, but one thing's for sure, it's not Yahweh's calendar. We find Yahweh's calendar established in the creation week in Genesis 1.14. There we find the sun and moon being placed in the sky for his moeds. Unfortunately, the demons, using their pagan puppet translators, changed the word moeds to seasons. Yes, the moeds involve seasons, but seasons loses most of the meaning of moeds. Leviticus 23.2 once again uses the word moeds. The feasts, moeds of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be set apart, these are my moeds, or feasts. Again, the word moeds in Leviticus translated feasts is far more correct than seasons, which Yahweh goes on to list, beginning with the weekly Sabbath. 
which is also one of the meanings of Moed. Interestingly, we do not find a day named for Yahweh's Sabbath in the Bible, only the number seven. The weekly Sabbath is usually referred to as the Sabbath or more often the seventh day. Plus, Yahweh never used or uses names for the months or weekdays either. The most pagan names assigned the days and the months and weeks were done by humans. Most of those names are names of pagan gods, except for the last few months of the year. Julius Caesar even named one of the months after himself. Of course, he was a self-proclaimed god, which is July. Another he named after his predecessor, Augustus, which is, you guessed it, August. Only those after August are numbers. Considering Israel was instructed to keep the seventh day set apart or exclusive from the others as a celebration, we have to ask, where does the count begin? Again, we have to go back to Genesis 1.14 where he tells us the sun and moon were placed in the sky for his Sabbaths or his Moeds. The sun determines two things, the seasons, both spring and fall, and the difference between day and night. Genesis 1.3 tells us Yahweh divided the light from the dark and called the light day and the darkness night. So the sun determines the seasons and the day or the light. But where does the seven count for the weekly Sabbath begin? Well, that's where the moon comes into play. We have many clear scriptures, some eight, showing us the first of the month is the new moon. In fact, that's where the English word month originates, moon. We also have many scriptures showing the new moon was celebrated as a Sabbath. So if the new moon, that is the first day of the month, is a Sabbath, where do the other Sabbaths get counted from? Well, if it hasn't clicked yet, the first Sabbath of the month is the new moon, where the seventh day count begins. It's so obvious to anyone actually looking, especially considering there are also seven days between the moon phases. What a coincidence that is. Not and no, the Jews have not kept track of the seventh day since creation in spite of what they say. Again, how amazing the way the defected watchers and their demon spawn were able to hide such amazing truths as Yahweh's lunar Sabbath in plain sight. They simply used the greatest weapon in their arsenal, time. Remember, one day to them is like a thousand years to us. They only needed enough time which they have to dumb us down, which they did. Humanity has so underestimated them in every way. Speaking of time and in connection to the subject of this chapter, that is Yahweh's Sabbath, there was a major change in time. Scientist turned Christian Charles Missler tells of how after the Israelites came into the Promised Land, that is 1400 to 1450 BCE, there was a major world-changing event called Joshua's Long Day. At this point, the Israelites had five Canaanite kings on the run, in hiding, who would escape with the coming of nightfall. So Joshua prayed for the sun to stop and give them more time to find the cave in which the Canaanite kings were hiding, which is exactly what happened. According to Dr. Missler, that world-changing events was Mars making its last close pass to Earth, causing it to slow or stop. In passing, it rained down great hailstones of rock, burying the cave entrance where the Canaanite kings were hiding. Remember, in an earlier chapter, we talked about the war in heaven where the Queen of Mars and her planets was thrown to the earth. After the initial earth-destroying event, Mars made a close pass every 85 to 105 years to rain down very destructive debris. In Joshua's long day, with Mars slingshotting around the earth, it left the earth spinning faster than before. 
before the long day, the year was 360 days, but 365 afterward. This event was proven to be real, considering all the world's major civilizations changed their calendars right after that event. Before 1400 BCE, the last Sabbath of the month was always backed up to the new moon. But now, with the extra five days, the lunar Sabbath count is confused. No doubt that was a demonic effort to obscure the Sabbath. Which leaves us asking, why would Yahweh the Creator allow something as important as His Sabbath celebrations to be stolen or lost? Though the evil ones did their best to obscure Yahweh's lunar Sabbaths, we still have enough to see and count upon which the next chapter sheds more light.